Welcome to the Renewable Generation, a podcast by young people for all people. About climate and energy issues. I'm Kelly Jang. And I'm Steve Chan. And we are here, live, in person! For the first time ever recording, Kelly and I, we are within arm's reach from each other, (laughs) touching each other's shoulders, (laughs) and the second time we've ever hung out in person. Wild. Isn't we've, that crazy? We've hung out on Zoom for like hundreds of hours in this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> During pandemic, it all began, and you know, you know, it's crazy that, that we we finally hung out again and uh, gotten like one meal together, probably in the span of our friendship. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that was the the first time we hung out together. That's right. And so we're talking about soaking up the sun today, and uh, why why would we be talking about that? Before we jump into that. Let me just uh, let me just ask you, Kelly. Uh, how was your last week? Yeah. So um, last week on the podcast, I mentioned that I was playing cello at my friend's concert. Not concert. It's her wedding. So we were playing kind of like while all the guests were like filing and sitting down. We played three songs: Hallelujah, um, Ashokan Farewell, which people were like, "Oh, that's from the soundtrack of a movie, right?" And I was like, "Yes, it's a soundtrack of the Ken Burns documentary about the Civil War." Which, it's it's actually true, and it's actually an excellent song. And then the third song was Turning Page, which is the wedding song from Twilight. <laughs> and it was extra fitting because in Twilight they live in Forks on the Olympic Peninsula, and um, their wedding was on the Olympic Peninsula as well. So that was, like, the last song that we played before they, like, walked down the aisle. So Did you see Edward Cullen out there? No. Ah, oh, <laughs> He, so they're, they live, they the ceremony was in Port Townsend, which is, like, in the rain shadow, so it's, like, one of the sunnier parts of the peninsula. Edward Cullen's in Forks, which is, like, the rainiest spot, cloudiest, rainiest spot. Otherwise, it'd be too sparkly. Yeah, is that, uh, is that performance up on Instagram somewhere? In no, there? so that one, Ooh. I don't know if there's a video. You Ooh. had to be there. I was going to tell our listeners to check you out on Instagram, but uh, never mind. I <laughs> do have, like, videos of us practicing on my Instagram. True, I did see those. <laughs> yeah. there, there's an Instagram story highlight called, like, Music Notes. That's, <laughs> like, all the random practicing videos. But, yeah, how was your weekend? It was good. Since the last time we talked, um... I celebrated one of my best friend's uh, birthdays. Shout out to Joshua Albano. If you're listening to this, happy birthday again, man. He, uh, we went to uh, Spats in Berkeley, which some of you may or may not know. It's this uh, trashy little dive bar with a soft spot in my heart. Um, he spun the wheel on the wall and he ended up having to take two shots of Jameson. And the night went downhill from there. He, two shots of Jameson later, he, this man was dancing on the dance floor. <laughs> literally sweating like a storm he was glistening with sweat from just dancing and i just never seen him so so uh free and nor have i ever seen him so drunk so that was that was pretty awesome but you know when, when we, you're uh, when you're talking about glistening i was like oh that's like edward cullen in the sunlight sparkling <laughs> he was edward cullen in in forks <laughs> getting, getting all sparkly but you know i really think that if you're ever going to do shots of anything you gotta have something to chase it down with you know preferably some juice 
Ah, yes. And what... And so that has a tangential relationship yes. to what we're talking about this week. So after, you know, you soak up the sun, you got to do something with it, right? Maybe your electricity load is not precisely aligned with the uh, times at which the sun is shining. So what do you do after you soak up the sun? You can store that store juice. That. Store that juice. In a battery. In a battery. So this and week on the Renewable Generation, we are, that's right, we are owning the libs. What's a libs? <laughs> What's a lib? So I don't know to what extent this is actually an abbreviation in the industry, but it's an abbreviation that I've seen a decent amount. Um, it stands for lithium-ion batteries. <laughs> <laughs> so not the liberals. We're not owning the liberals. I mean, we could as well. We're also going to own the liberals. No. Yes. And the lithium-ion batteries. Lithium-ion batteries. L-I-B. Mainly the okay. lithium-ion batteries. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to own them by dropping all the knowledge about the libs. Um, and so... So, yeah, and um, we'll start off with a little bit of history here. So, so in 2019, um, the Nobel Prize in Chemistry was awarded to this, to this team of researchers um, who developed essentially the lithium, lithium-ion battery. So, going back, um, the research on lithium-ion batteries really began in, like, the 1970s and 1980s um, during, like, the oil crisis. Um, and, and then it kind of took a couple decades of research, but... You know, from there, it commercially really kicked off in 1991 in Japan with uh, consumer electronics. So this, these are things like MP3 players, cell phones, laptops. Um, essentially, lithium-ion batteries provided portable, safe, and rechargeable batteries, and that's why we don't have we have all these electronics like our phones and you know our iPods and walk, Walkman back in the day. Laptops. That, laptops um, that didn't require cords to always be plugged in, or like um, you know cordless drill bits and you know cordless anything. It's because of lithium-ion batteries, and it's really like, transformed how we view electronics as a whole. Yeah. So um, one thing for a bit of context. So um, there's two components of a battery that people will sometimes talk about. There's like the amount of energy that you can store in it, and there's the power rating. So energy, it's kind of like imagine you have a tank of water. Like literally, what is the size of your tank? So you could have a battery that has 100 kilowatt hours. And then the amount of power it can put out, it's like, let's say that's basically the size of your faucet or the size of your drain. So it's like, okay, then at what speed can you charge or discharge the battery? So let's say you have your 100 kilowatt battery and 100 kilowatt hour battery that's rated at 25 kilowatts. So basically one kilowatt for one hour is one kilowatt hour. If we have 25 kilowatts and 100 kilowatt hours, that means that it's it's, it's what we refer to as a quote unquote four hour battery. Um, and then we would also, um, another way of saying this, there's this saying called the C rate, which is basically the rate of charge, and it's like the inverse of the hour rating. So a 4-hour battery would also be like a 0.25C battery, or if you have a 2-hour battery, it would be a 0.5C battery. If you have a 30-minute battery, it's a 2C battery, something like that. So it basically just refers to how fast um, the battery can charge or discharge. And when you see people refer to like, oh, this battery is like better for longer durations, I mean, it basically just means that like the power component of the battery is like more expensive relative to the energy component. Right. And there's one other thing to, to mention there is that let's say, we, let's say we have a 25 kilowatt battery slash 100 kilowatt hour battery it means four hour storage, right? This is at max discharge. So you can always discharge or charge your battery at a smaller rate than its, than its maximum. So if you have a 25 kilowatt 
battery, you could just discharge it at, let's say, 10 kilowatts and end up having a 10-hour uh, battery at the end of the day. But that's just its like maximum ratings right there. Mm -hmm. um, diving into a little bit of science and chemistry here. So lithium-ion batteries are, are pretty much the, the dominant uh, form of batteries that we see out in the market. Um, so lithium is obviously like the, the main component of that kind of battery. And lithium is a super cool element. So let's dive into the periodic table a little bit. Um, lithium was formed in the first few minutes after the Big Bang. Um, and it's one of the lightest elements on the periodic table with only three protons. Um, there are tons of different kinds of chemistries of these kinds of batteries. Yeah, so lithium ions, basically, there's several different configurations of like other metals that are in there that can hold the lithium in place. So there's the original one was LCO, lithium cobalt oxide. That's basically like the only other thing other than lithium is the only other metal in there is cobalt. Um, and then there's various formulations with nickel, manganese, and cobalt. So that's called NMC. It can be in ratios of like, uh, like, I think four, three, three. So that'd be four parts nickel, three parts manganese, three parts cobalt. Um, then five, three, two, six, two, two. And I think some of the newer formulations have like eight, one, one. So it's only 10% cobalt, which is significantly less than when you had 100% cobalt because cobalt is the most expensive mineral and it's a conflict mineral, which is basically like, there's a lot of concerns about the supply chain, particularly with the fact that a lot of it is sourced from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which is neither democratic nor republic, but we don't have to get into that. <laughs> um, and um, so one of the big concerns is like the cobalt supply chain and all the human rights issues uh, related to that, which we'll dive into a bit more later. Um, another chemistry is LFP, lithium ferrous phosphate. So that one's basically just like iron and phosphate. Um, those are very common materials, but the energy density is slightly worse than uh, more cobalt-based chemistries. Um, and then the Tesla batteries also use one called NCA, which is nickel, cobalt, and aluminum. Um, and the Nissan Leafs actually used one called LMO, which is like lithium manganese oxide, but um, those batteries were not that great. They didn't have good cycle life. Ah, the Nissan Leaf. <laughs> hey, the new, the new Nissan Leafs are actually pretty good. They have like 200-mile range. But I think maybe their reputation is tarnished by the OG leaves. The leaves. They were they were some of the first movers, so you gotta give them credit for that. I agree. But it's the kind of car where you're like you're definitely driving it to be good for the environment, and it's, it's not a, a short cool car. Yeah, it's a short <laughs> distance. You're not really gonna take that on a road trip per se. It's more of like in a city, you're gonna drive it around and, and be yeah. good with that. Yeah. So. We are also, there are also other kinds of batteries out there that, um, so lithium ion are considered to be like a solid state battery, which means that there are no, there are no moving parts. No, so that's actually false. So a solid state battery is basically, there, there's no like liquid electrolyte, everything, there's a, like a solid electrolyte and everything is solid. No, no moving parts. That's not, so a solid state battery is like slightly different than like the traditional lithium ion battery where you still have like a liquid electrolyte. A solid state battery is like everything is... Here, let me look up the difference between, like, what is it? This, this episode, we're introducing live fact check. So, we're, so Kelly and I had disagree sometimes, and we want to... Yeah, so it has solid electrodes and a solid electrolytes instead of the lithium or polymer gel electrolytes found in lithium ion or lithium polymer batteries. So it's so like... No moving parts. That's not wrong. Yeah, but a lith you said a lithium ion battery is a solid state battery, which is false. Mmm. So it's, it's, yeah, so it's like... It's a typical, like, cathode, like, electrolyte anode type battery. So the cathode is, like, the positive terminal, the anode is the negative terminal, and they're, like, in this tank of electrolyte. 
Whereas the solid state batteries, like there is no liquid. So this solid state batteries, I think the idea with that is that you would have like huge advances in like energy density and like weight and also cycle life. Um, so that's something that's kind of like, you know, always five to 10 years away from commercialization. Um, but EV companies are definitely very interested in that. And actually when I Googled it to fact check myself, it says uh, GM announces a new battery facility two days ago to develop lithium metal and solid state cells. So that's pretty exciting. Well, there you have it. Well, there you have it. <laughs> so, so flow batteries, on the other hand, as opposed to a sol- as opposed to a solid state battery, are, are batteries with like a liquid electrolyte. Yeah. And these are these are batteries that are going to be less energy dense. So therefore, they're better at delivering smaller amounts of energy for a longer time. And these are up to ten hours, um, kind of like as, as a standard. Um, and these are only suitable for grid type storage. Not you're not going to see this really in electric vehicles or you know handheld consumer electronics because you're going to have sloshing around in these yeah. in these in these like you know. You're, you're moving around in. Can you imagine driving a car and you're trying to take a break and all the water sloshes forward and moves you a little bit further past the brake line? You know, it's kind of it's yeah. sketch. So basically, the idea with a flow battery is that, like, what people say is like, oh, the power and energy are decoupled. So normally in a battery, it's like you just have the battery cell. It's like, okay, you have the cathode, electrolyte, and anode all in, like, one space. With the flow battery, basically the, elect- the cathode and anode are both, like, liquids. So there's a membrane, which is basically where you have the particles or like the ions interacting with each other, and you have pumps pumping this liquid from the tanks, like through the membrane where they like exchange electrons and then back out. So theoretically, to increase your storage capacity, you just have to put more tanks. This isn't like you actually have to have a physical like mechanical pump pumping this liquid around. So that's how they're different from a regular battery because like normal batteries do have a liquid electrolyte, but it's like kind of contained. It's like inside the battery cell. Um, and so basically the power is dependent on the size of the membrane. So you, you know, theoretically the membrane's the most important, most expensive part. So you could just add a bunch of tanks of electrolyte. However, some of these electrolytes are actually expensive. One of the most promising thing, uh, flow battery technologies that people were really into like five, 10 years ago were vanadium flow batteries. And that's like, it's just so expensive. Um, now actually there's a lot more hype around iron flow, which is pretty interesting because iron is a lot less expensive so that's a technology that you know could actually work as far as uh flow batteries go right speaking of iron being extremely abundant there's a there's a startup out there called form energy which they use iron air batteries which are it's like one of the biggest hype companies in the space right now they pretty much went public recently that they have a battery that can deliver 100 hours of storage which um you know traditional lithium ions like you know four hours maybe two four six hours so we're at an entire order of magnitude, maybe two orders of magnitude higher. Yeah. So pretty, pretty hyped. This is this is definitely something that could help uh, renewables uh, proliferate and kind of uh, be more valuable on the grid. So you can really like move your solar and wind, um, not just across a couple hours, but across a couple of days or close to weeks. Yeah. And it's interesting. So that announcement about the hundred hour battery was like a long time ago. It was like a like one megawatt, like one hundred megawatt hour project. And this is like before they announced what their chemistry was. So they finally announced it like you know a couple months ago, and it was like oh, they're like wait, it's just iron. <clears throat> and I was like, well, like if it's gonna be cheap, it's gotta be something that is out there a lot. Um, and the other really interesting thing about Form Energy to me is that they actually had to develop their own grid modeling software to like prove the value of their solution because the utilities are like just 
barely wrapping their heads around the idea of like four hour storage. And then with like multi-day storage, they're like, oh, we have no idea how to fit this into our planning process. So <laughs> it's, it's actually pretty cool to see what they're doing with grid modeling as well. And one thing I will say about lithium-ion batteries, like while it's considered like a quote-unquote four-hour battery, it's like the energy costs of the batteries just keeps going down so much just due to economies of scale and making so many more batteries that like any other new entrant into the battery market has to compete with it. And so it's like if your flow battery is going to be more expensive at 10 hours than than a four-hour lithium-ion battery, then you just go with a lithium-ion battery. Maybe you get a smaller inverter if you think it's only going to be 10 hours. So right, and that and a lot of that like economy of scale talk um, conversation is really due to like the proliferation of electric vehicles, pretty much driven by Tesla and like you know the Nissan Leaf and the the Chevy Volt. Um, and a lot of EVs in China also. And yeah, EVs in China. So so the. The mass, um, the massive amounts, the critical mass of of lithium ion batteries are being bought by electric vehicle manufacturers, and that's like having a spillover effect into industries like solar and wind and you know storage developers like the ones that I'm working at. Um, that really like helps uh, drive those economies of scale, drives that cost curve down. Um, we're seeing essentially like batteries follow the same curve that solar did 10 years ago. So definitely really exciting times to be talking about storage. Um, and it's funny because, you know, those electric vehicles like, like a Tesla or a lot of these like, uh, advanced electric vehicles, they can actually be considered like grid assets as well. Like when you're, when you're plugging them into your house and you're charging your, your vehicle, there's also potentiality for you to charge, discharge from your electric vehicle to the grid. And so you you got the same, the same technology at play there. Yeah. Well, we could do a whole, um, episode on V to G and E to charge. But I'm, I have some skepticism about VG, so we can dive into that at a later <laughs> date. Um, but, uh, Steve, you have some dollar bills numbers. That's right. So what, what kind of economies are we talking about here? So approximately $5.4 billion of new investment was committed to storage projects across the world last year, increasing the total cumulative investment to an estimated $22 billion. By 2025, the overall investment pot will reach $86 billion with a 24% uh, CAGR, which is a compound annual growth rate, which I learned for this episode, um, and 24%, and that is despite the economic slowdown caused by COVID-19. What baseline year is the CAGR compared to? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I took this from the, the, the report that I read it from. Yeah. Um, I Maybe think it was, 2019. Uh, it must be... Because, like, yeah. if it's taking into account COVID. So from last year, right? So across the world last year. So it must have been from 2020. Okay. Um, and this is... I think this was a, this was a report put out by uh, by Wood McKenzie. Um, so by, um, by 2025, um, the Americas, led by the U.S., will actually be overtaking the Asia-Pacific uh, subcontinent um, to lead the global storage market. So as of now, like, China, Japan, Korea, they're really leading the way... Um, but uh, the Americas are, are projected, to, projected to overcome. Um, Europe and EU actually is, is relatively uh, stagnant in this area, but hopefully that will change soon. Yeah, cool. And just for a bit of context on the scale of different um, like battery, like grid-tied battery installations, you could have like the residential installations for like houses and apartments. These can actually be at a pretty significant scale if it's like a big high-rise building or an apartment complex, something like that. Um, and you, when you're at that big of a scale, you can also start doing more interesting things like providing grid services and earning revenue for that. Um, commercial 
uh, energy storage, this would be this would typically be at some kind of factory that has like a high amount of energy use. They'll have there's like various things where it's like you get charged for your peak demand at like the peak hour of the entire year. And like if you can cut your energy in that hour, you can save like tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that's a great use case for energy storage. Um, and then there's also just like utility scale batteries. Like you know we heard about the Tesla one in Australia where he was like. There's like the whole like hundred days from the signing of the contract, but basically they just like they were building the plant, but they didn't sign the contract until they'd already been building the plant for six months. But we don't have to get into that. Right. It's just funny. We're we're actually going to dive into that later in the episode. Oh, so just, okay. Just briefly, though, just yeah. briefly. So put a pin um, in that one. Yeah, and then um, they can also do things like one really interesting one. Um, I think in. Oakland, they're basically replacing a peaker plant that like burns gas, burns natural gas, creates all sorts of air pollution, but then they don't have an, they're shutting off that plant, but there's not enough transmission lines to bring in enough energy for like the peak hours. So instead they just put a big battery there, they charge it at night or like during the day from solar um, when there's excess energy and then that energy is consumed during the peak hours. So this is a really interesting use case where it's like you don't have to build more transmission lines which are really expensive. You just like plunk down all these batteries and it's like easy and fast by comparison. Right. And that's known as non-wires alternatives which that's is right. like a cheaper way. Essentially utilities, it's really viable to utilities because they can avoid those expensive transmission and distribution upgrades and instead buy a huge battery which is still expensive but marginally less expensive. It's actually significantly less expensive. This podcast is brought to you by Bright Power, the premier uh, provider of energy and water management services for real estate owners, investors, and operators. We enhance building performance, simplify building operations, and contribute to a healthy environment inside and out. To learn more, please visit brightpower.com. Also, I'm hiring. What? I know. I'm actually, um, there's a new posting for a building data um, intern based in California that will be um, on my team helping me out with some stuff related to like dealing with data from a lot of old projects. Um, there's also an outreach intern who will be um, kind of working together with that intern on this project um, that will be reporting to our operations administrator. So those check out those two positions if you're looking for an internship. Um, there's also several other internship positions as well as full-time positions in project uh, project management, um, engineering, and all sorts of other stuff. So go check out those um, posts on our website at brightpower.com slash weird-hiring or just go to brightpower.com and click on the careers tab or if you're if you're interested in learning more just DM me on any platform of your choice Instagram LinkedIn Twitter I'm not really on Twitter <laughs> but slide into those DMs oh she has a Twitter <laughs> I, d I do have a Twitter but I don't go on there so if you slide into the Twitter DMs I might not see it that's true all right, so use cases for energy storage. So, so obviously, we've, we, mo I think most of our listeners at this point understand what, what batteries do, right? They, they hold solar, they hold wind, which are intermittent. You can't dispatch them, but when you put them into a battery, you can choose to dispatch them, you know, at, right yeah. now, you know, 15 minutes from now, 30 minutes from now, you know. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, if, if the battery's, you know, large enough for that. Well, I mean, if you're not using the energy today, you could use it tomorrow. Yeah. If it's beyond four hours, though? Well, I mean, it's the bat, the amount of self-discharge. Let's like you charge your phone. If you leave it in airplane mode for two days, you'll still have it on the third day. Yeah, there'll still be some storage left, some 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 energy left there, but uh, it will be a little bit diminished. But so, what what are the benefits and services that are that are specifically one of the value streams that that 
battery developers and, and battery owners end up capturing. So Kelly, you already talked a little bit about demand charge reduction, which is um, you know customers getting charged for the maximum or peak kilowatts that they use during a month or a year, and how you can essentially make that peak a lot lower and save them a lot more money. So we talked a little bit already about demand charge reduction. Um, another another style of uh, value stream here is energy arbitrage. Um, so this is really going to be seen on on places where the utility tariff has a time of use rate. Um, what that really means is um, if you use energy at 12 p.m. versus using energy at 6 p.m., it's um, a lot more expensive at 6 p.m. Um, so what, what you essentially can do here is store um, energy into your battery when it's cheap in the middle of the day when there's tons of solar energy, and you can discharge it at 5 and 6 p.m. when people are using energy and the sun is going down. So you can, you can avoid spending more for the energy. Um, this is particularly um, useful in California um, well, right now in California, we're on this thing called a NEM 2.0, which is a specific uh, tariff structure, um, which right now favors solar a lot. But when we're actually moving to, uh, in the near future, we're going to be moving to NEM 3.0, which moves the time of use rate buckets um, with such that it, it does not favor solar so much anymore. So batteries are about to become a lot more attractive in California um, for energy arbitrage. Yeah, and this is actually like a pretty controversial thing that a lot of solar companies are saying will like kill their business case essentially because basically the point is like based on right now it's like based on your net consumption throughout the whole year that's how you get paid for solar. So it's like you're creating solar at noon but you're actually consuming it at 6 p.m. but they're treating it like it has equal value which like it's great for the business case for solar, not really great if you're like if you're a grid operator trying to like provide energy when people need it. And so basically the idea with the new, NEM stands for net energy metering. So with NEM 3.0, the energy in the middle of the day will be dirt cheap. So it'd be like, you know, EV charging happy hour, battery charging happy hour. And then in, in the time of like a normal actual happy hour, which is like, you know, four to six, it'll be the EV charging sad hour where it's very expensive. And so that's when um, you can get a benefit by using a battery. However, um, based on my understanding, I don't know if the differential currently is like enough to solely drive the use case for a battery um well we don't know any specifics yet right yeah and then but like it would have to it would have to actually be very expensive particularly compared to demand charge reduction which is why i think like the average person who's installing a battery in their home is not doing it for the reasons of energy arbitrage right i think they're doing it because they've seen the public safety power shutoffs and they're like that i do not want that i want resiliency and to be able to have like the power on in my home if you know the PG&E transmission line didn't get the trees trimmed around it and is at risk of starting wildfire so it's pretty interesting that that's that's the main use case and it's something that honestly doesn't like you can value like what people value that as I mean for like in a company you can be like oh the cost of like lost you know economic productivity is x amount people's like my comfort is worth like many thousands of dollars right and as an example like so a lot of the clients that we work with at Terra Verde are like schools or school districts and so the way we kind of calculate that um that productivity loss is like let's say there was a 48 48 hour outage think about all the food that would spoil um, how much did that all cost? And I think about all the students that were going to go to school and now can't go to school. How much does it cost administratively to, to move that? So there are, there are some like some fairly like common sense ways that you can start to think about what is the avoided cost 
um, of you like not having a power outage, but there's also, as Kelly's saying, that peace of mind, which is a lot harder to quantify, and it's a lot more of like an emotional decision um, based on like who's the decision maker in that spot. That's right. But I think it's also it's also like useful to like back out for a second and say like with batteries, um, there are a couple different. Uh, problems that they solve. So there's there's an environmental problem that batteries can help solve. There's also a financial problem that batteries can help solve and sometimes do not actually end up being more expensive. And there's also just the resiliency and peace of mind problem that batteries solve. So depending on who you are as a client or as a customer, you might be you might say, this this battery's gonna end up costing me more money at the end of the day, but I want to install it because I get to use more of my solar energy and I get to have peace of mind and that's more valuable to me. Um, so that, that is an interesting part of like the business development side and like sales is like knowing who your customer is and what is it that they desire, what do they want, and uh, addressing those needs. That's right. My feels are priceless, Steve. Yeah. And so are your clients' feels. Oh, I know. I, I know. Kelly's feels are <laughs> priceless. <laughs> um, cool. So one other more, I guess, nerdy uh, use case is called frequency regulation. So this is basically the frequency of the grid it's like, we don't have to get into uh, extreme detail, but essentially frequency regulation is like balancing the second by second or even like millisecond by millisecond slight variations between the amount of power that's uh, produced or consumed. And so typically this is something that is provided by like the spinning mass of rotating generators. It's like if there's too little energy on the grid, then they'll speed up. Or if there's too much energy on the grid, then they'll slow down a little bit. And well, so actually, the frequency regulation is specifically to do with like the hertz of the grid. Yeah. So it's like yeah. just everything works on AC. Things are about the things are usually sixty hertz, which means that they that they um, alternate sixty times per second. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes, so that's like when you plug your outlet into the wall, you're gonna get that sixty hertz. But yeah. and, and, and you know, fun fact in Europe, it's fifty hertz. Um, but sometimes that sixty is more like a sixty point two or a fifty nine point seven, right? So, so those batteries, what they do is actually like provide a little bit of uh, vars, inject vars, or absorb vars in order to get that frequency closer to sixty hertz, sixty point zero 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 hertz. Yeah, I thought for no frequency regulation is actually like you're actually injecting real power. For the the injecting vars is to do with um, it's like if you're if you have too much um, inductance. On the right, which is to do with which is to do with frequency, like Does frequency. It? Yeah. yeah. Mark, okay. Uh, inductance. Oh man. Sasha. Yeah. We okay. Don't need to go into inductance, but that's just like transformers. Yeah. It's transformers. it's basically the idea is like there's like slight variations from time to time of like because it's like oh someone turned on a light and then like you didn't start up another like one kilowatt power plant somewhere. Right. So there's going to be like slight variations that batteries can quickly adapt to solve. And so people are turning I, things on and turning things off all the time, right? Yeah. Millions of people. So yeah. this is a very tough challenge to solve, which has historically been done with like peaker plants. But as Kelly's been saying, batteries are a lot faster. They can work on like the millisecond scale, whereas peaker yeah. plants are like what, like well, ten seconds? Yeah. Well, that's like you do. You have a rotating spinning mass that right. takes that has inertia, and you have to get up to speed to physically move that compared up. to <laughs> power electronics, which are fast. Um, and then another use case that we talked about earlier is the easing grid congestion. This is like if you're in a place that has a lot of energy needs but doesn't have enough transmission lines going in there, plop a battery in there for the, just the peak times. Right. So we did talk a little bit earlier, or well, Kelly touched on the idea of Teslas, um, which was at the time the world's largest battery. Um, but someone else has come and taken that crown off of Tesla's head. And this is a company called Vistracorp. 
uh, no, sorry, LG Energy Solutions, and they serviced a client called Vista Corp. Vistra Corp. So the largest battery in the world is now at Moss Landing, California, which is near Santa Cruz. And fun fact, I actually went and saw it recently um, uh, with my company retreat. It was very cool. It was humongous. Um, and it's a, it is actually 400 megawatt slash 1.6 gigawatt hour battery. Um, and really, it's actually two segments. It's one that's 300 megawatts and one that's 100 megawatts. Um, and this actually just recently went offline during Labor Day weekend due to a thermal event, which means it was overheating and was at risk of exploding. So there's definitely, with batteries, there's definitely an important, um, it, it, it should not be understated that those things can explode and they are dangerous. Um, but it's also something that can be managed and it can be engineered around. So it's, it's not something that should be feared, but it's some, something that should be like um, managed at that risk. Um, the one in Tesla was at this, was in South Australia and it was, uh, it was known as Hornsdale. It serviced a like gigantic wind farm just next door to it. Um, and it was a hundred, hundred megawatts slash 129 megawatt hour. So it's interesting though, in the Tesla one, the Tesla one was, served, it was uh, being charged by a wind farm, but the one in Moss Landing is actually being charged by a gas a gas uh, plant. So this is like one of those things where we say batteries are not necessarily strictly an environmental or like a green technology. It's just an energy technology. So it just absorbs energy and then can discharge it whenever it wants to and provide grid grid services and ancillary benefits. So you know in this case it, it, it's being charged by a gas, which is not something that you know Kelly and I personally like to hear that much. But you know what, a battery yeah. is a battery. And, well, I would say that actually having. Ba a battery store gas is like less it's like worse for the environment than just using the energy from the gas plant exactly when it's produced because like you know with a standard lithium ion battery is like 90% efficient so you're getting 10% more emissions from that which is great <laughs> um, but the the hope is that like in the long term or like even in the medium term like it's it makes a lot more sense to use batteries to um, deal with intermittent renewables and there's like the cap of how many renewables you can incorporate if you don't have battery storage like with battery storage you can even like four to eight hour storage you can easily get up to 80 percent renewables on the grid so um we talked a lot about some of the, the benefits that batteries provide um what are some of the problems that we see with batteries you know we, we i i personally <laughs> i hear i see on twitter i see on the internet tons of people who come out against uh, a lot of the renewable technologies and say like oh these things are great but have you heard about all the extractive and the environmental damage that it does i think it's there, there's some truth to that it's it's important to shine a light on what um what does it take to build uh, any kind of technology but um you know still understand that things are marginally better than incumbent technologies yeah um and so. what i will say is like all the all the issues with like you know mining of precious metals like there are also those exact same issues right. with extracting fossil fuels yeah so we have to do an apples to apples comparison it's, yeah like extracting tar sands Oh, Not to mention that, that just there's an oil spill happening right now in Texas. Like as we're talking, there's a yeah. tanker spilling, spewing oils like barrels and barrels of oil into yeah. uh, into the Gulf. So yeah. also and I mean, talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's definitely important to keep in mind the issues with um, extracting, particularly lithium metal and cobalt. But like we need to keep it in context. So, right. Steve, so, want to talk about mining? Yes. Mining, um, and we're, no, we're not talking about being a circus mime, even though sometimes. Or we're, we're, like we're not talking about Bitcoin. Go back and read our, listen to our episode <laughs> about that. Ended up being one of the <laughs> best episodes ever. <laughs> yeah. So mining, um, we were talking about 
bringing minerals out of the ground. So lithium, for the most part, is mined in Australia and South America, specifically Argentina, Bolivia, and Chile. Um, and about 90% of the globe's lithium all comes from those uh, four countries. Um, so commu like local communities' reactions are kind of mixed. Some are happy because there's an economic lift and job creation and wealth creation, um, which is good. But others are dead set against it, um, particularly um, you know, indigenous communities in South America are, are extremely worried about water rights. It, it takes massive amounts of water to extract uh, lithium. They, what they do is like create these like they create these huge brine fields, like saltwater brine fields, and about like a couple feet uh, high, but like extremely wide. And they have to let all like the saltwater melt, uh, not melt, evaporate Leech, away. Kind of. Yeah, and so. The so is, is remaining. My understanding is basically there's like lithium, like salt crystals, just like kind of in the sand. So when you put the water in, then it kind of like leaches the lithium salts out, and then when the water evaporates, there's like a film of it on there. Is that accurate? Let's fact check it. <laughs> live fact checking. Lithium. Evan, and, and by the way, Evan, do do the live fact check. Like make it kind of funny, you know. But like, and then and then edit it so that we get the answer at the end. <laughs> I found the brine extraction. Media. We are currently live fact checking. Okay, it's tr typically a straightforward but lengthy process. Blah blah blah. Okay, so there's liquid brine reservoirs that are located beneath salt flats, known as salars, most of which are located in southwestern South America and China. Um. Oh, okay. So you basically, it's actually like there's the underground brine pond. So you like pump it and you into basically this lake and let all the water evaporate. And then you just pick up what's remaining. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So cool. pretty much just evaporation then. Yeah. Um, and um, lithium ion batteries also require um, cobalt, nickel, and graphite, um, in which 20% of that comes from. Well, 20% of the cobalt. Comes from the Democratic uh, the cobalt Republic. comes from the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is not yeah. democratic or a republic. <laughs> it um, is the Congo, though. But it is Congo, <laughs> and they they use uh, they are known to use a lot of child labor, so there's ethical concerns there. So lots of these companies, um, electric vehicles and storage developers alike, in the space that are claiming to be ethical and you know green and conscious and have good uh, what's the word uh, social corporate ESG ESG. They have to also look back in your supply chain. This kind of ties back into our conversation about scope three emissions. It's kind of like your your emissions or your your ethical footprint all the way back to the source have to be thought about. So that's definitely one thing that the industry should be keeping top of mind. There's like these indigenous rights and also the child labor exploitation. Um, we should do better and we have to do better. Yeah. Okay. So there's all these concerns with mining lithium, right? But, like, if we mined it once, hopefully we could reuse it. So, like, once, it, you know, like, if we the battery gets to the end of the life, at least we could take out the lithium and make a new battery with it. Ooh, is that actually what happens now? No. <sighs> okay, so, um, I remember when I was in high school reading some article about how Tesla's, like, oh, you know, we're, like, reuse, we recycle our batteries, we have this plant that does it. Upon further investigation, so these were their um, NCA nickel cobalt aluminum batteries. What they do is they pretty much just like crush the batteries up, take out the cobalt, and then the rest of it, which includes the lithium, is just used as a concrete additive. So it actually makes the concrete better, but then the lithium is mixed in with like a whole thing of concrete, and it's just you're not going to get it. Like if you're not going to get it out of the battery, you're definitely not going to get it when it's mixed in with all this other concrete stuff. And so That's you're fair. kind of 
wasting it. And the reason for that is because the economic value of lithium right now is actually not high enough to justify the recycling of it. So like right now the two main practices for recycling batteries it's either you burn everything and get the most expensive metal which is cobalt or you dissolve everything in really strong acid and get the most expensive metals out and neither of those are particularly great options yeah i will say though there's a company out there called redwood materials there's a startup being 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 started by jb straubel who is one of the early employees at tesla and he's essentially doing uh lithium-ion battery recycling so yeah. there are solutions being currently uh, talked about in the field and actually worked on. So hopefully we'll you know, see the technological solution to this problem too. Yeah. And so um, one of the um, companies, there's another company called Onto Technologies that's working on this thing called direct physical recycling. So what they do is they actually extract the entire cathode uh, particle. Um, so that's like you could extract the whole particle that's like an NMC particle and then just reuse that whole thing. So that would be really cool. Um, but it's currently like very much in like the lab and demonstration scale. I think this company's had their technology licensed by some companies, but it's just very, it's, I think one of the really big issues that like all of the battery manufacturers have like slightly different configurations. The design of especially EV battery packs is like, a, it's considered a trade secret because that's like one of the main things that you can do in the car to make it better or worse is like the performance of the battery. And so companies do not want to standardize the way that they make the batteries. Um, and so that's a big barrier to recycling. So interestingly, a few years ago, actually, China's government passed a law basically forcing all the EV manufacturers to have some like standardized um, uh, design of the battery pack so that it can be disassembled and recycled more easily. Um, I'm not actually sure, quite sure what it is right now, but like some of the things that companies could do to make their batteries more recyclable is instead of gluing things, bolt them. And so it's easy to disassemble. And that's something that, I mean, you know, especially as you see like with the newer iPhones, it's like so difficult to disassemble them and fix them yourselves because they want it to be as small as possible so everything's glued, it's like really weird. Um, and as with EV batteries, it's sometimes very similar. Um, one of my former coworkers actually worked at Tesla and he was like, yeah, like back when I worked there, there was like everything was just glued together in weird ways. There is no bolting to be found. Hopefully they fixed it, but I don't know. And so there's a lot of hype right now as well about second life uh, battery usage. So it's like after you, you know, the battery is like 80% done in the EV, you could still use it on the grid. So anyway, we're getting a little bit off track. Um, so we'll wrap up our discussion of libs right there. And we'll talk about something that is actually proposed by actual libs in Congress. It's the Green New Spiel. Steve, what's your Green New Spiel? Thanks, Kelly. My, I took a page out of your playbook this week, and I have two Green New Spiels. <laughs> so the first one is a tweet by uh, Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson, who, if, if, if our listeners aren't aware of who she is, you should definitely check her out. Follow her on Twitter. and Listen and to her podcast. Her podcast is amazing, How, how to Save a Planet. Um, and she put a tweet out that said, There are 99 months until the year 2030. What will you do to rapidly accelerate implementation of climate solutions between now and then? Tick tock. Hey, put there's another also way, the earth flame explanation point emoji, sorry. Put another way, um, put another way, every month without reducing emissions is wasting approximately 1% of the remaining time to cut emissions in half. So every month counts. Every month is 1% of the pie. 
So there are also a lot of people um, commenting on our Twitter, on our tweet, saying a lot of these replies are talking about individual actions, like what do you think you can do in your life to help solve this? And she is saying, stop thinking like that. Stop thinking about that. We need to think about levers. Think beyond just yourselves. What can you, you individually do to pull a lever to contribute to system level change? And that's something that I, I wholeheartedly stand behind. I think it's, it's, a lot of, it's very noble for a lot of people to, to take their own lives and, and, and live it in a certain way that you're contributing to the, to the solutions. But if you're spending 100% of your energy on that, you need to shift your focus onto actually solving the problem. It's not just about feeling good about yourself or giving yourself a pat on the back, um, you need to actually contribute. So what you need to do is join the systematic changes that we're, that we're creating here. The second uh, Green New Spiel that I got is um, there's a company out there called Swift Solar, Swift Solar, um, and they develop high-efficiency uh, perovskite uh, photovoltaics. And they were selected by the California Energy Commission for a Bridge 2020 award. They'll actually be developing these perovskite tandem solar cells that can power electric vehicles. So um, they're actually going to be putting these electric vehicle, uh, putting these PV um, cells on the electric vehicle themselves. So sunlight isn't very dense, but with uh, efficient PV covering multiple EV surfaces, you might be able to power 50% or more of your annual miles with zero carbon solar, while helping to reduce peak charging loads on the grid. So we won't have to like draw so much power from the grid and cause all these problems um, with grid operators. Also, apartment dwellers or anyone else who can't install a home charger charger at their own house can finally get an EV without having to worry so much about charging at home. So I think that's pretty neat. Cool. Yeah, it's interesting, these uh, advanced solar cell technologies. Um, but there's like various things that I could say, but it would take too long. So I won't <laughs> say it. Um, so my Green News spiel for this week is kind of depressing. Um, it's an article about how um, some scientists measured the level of microplastics in the urine of children and adults, and they found that the concentration of microplastics in babies is way higher than in adults. And if you think about it, yeah, because, like, babies have all these toys that they're, like, always chewing on, yeah. and, like, it's plastic. They're, like, eating plastic, and that's honestly just, like, I'm like, yeah, I did that as a kid. Like, no wonder I'm so messed up. Must be all the microplastics. <laughs> and so it's just, like, I don't know. I mean, that's something where it's like once it's out in the environment, like how do you collect back the microplastics? They're just there, and there's like the, you know, like the um, sedimentary rocks of plastics. It's like these plastic particles like just get like compacted and turn into rocks, and it's, oh, it's not good. That's one of those like very um, insidious and like you know changes that we're seeing because it's so hard to even tell, yeah. and you just have to have health problems. I honestly think like that it's just gonna be like an evolution problem. Like, yeah. It's just people are going to like die faster and sooner and people who don't are just gonna pass on their genes and like it's like really rough but like oof yeah like, there's no i don't see another like how we're gonna like there's not gonna be like a, a, a vacuum cleaner for microplastics that they're everywhere yeah like it might just be something that we have to just yeah it's, it's something with. that we do have to deal with but it's like we should probably take steps to at least stop at least putting stop. more totally. microplastics like out we're there. still emitting microplastics right now yeah. oh shout out to anyone who uses those like face, facial washes with those like little scrubby things in them stop using that those, those are terrible. Those are the worst. But I think it's aren't those your skin, banned so. now? <laughs> Either way, if you want to do one, you can um, coat um, using like a brown sugar scrub with like lem. If you take like a lemon and you put like brown sugar on the lemon, you can use that to scrub your face. That's better because that's all natural. It's all compostable and it dissolves. So beauty tips from the renewable generation. <laughs> 
Um, so on Take that vein, care of your skin. <laughs> yeah, on that vein, follow us for our whole skincare routine on every social media platform. <laughs> um, Mental health, self care, it's yeah, important. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, with that, we wrap up the greenish spiel and the show. Follow us on um, Instagram. I'm at Kelly M. Jang. I'm climate underscore Steve. On uh, Twitter at GenRenewPod. And subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like us, leave us a rating interview. If you don't like us, slide into our DMs and tell us how much you hate us. Tell us why not. <laughs> if, no four star views, only five. <laughs> Um, and let us know if you have any ideas for future episodes. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening and have a great rest of your week. Do, 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 do.